0: Hello and welcome to the first in a podcast series about restoring nature's tapestry. It's produced by Citywire in association with Federated Hermes. I'm Richard Lander of Citywire. My guest today is Professor Alistair Driver, who is a longstanding expert on rewilding. And Sonia Lichtman, who works in engagement with EOS, the part of Federated Hermes, which advises investors on corporate engagement and proxy voting services. Today's episode, we're going to start at the small end of things, tiny creatures, flies, fleas and bees, and they are sadly declining in numbers at an alarming rate. Why is this important? Well, there's a direct link between plummeting numbers of insects and rising risk for global food production. Uh, We have no bees and other insects that pollinate for free farmers are going to have to pay for this to do it artificially. That, of course, leads on to extra costs, rising food prices in the shops, and we know all about that at the moment. Uh, It's not just about pollination that makes insects crucial for life on Earth. Both terrestrial and freshwater ecosystems depend on having lots of healthy insects around. They recycle the nutrients and food for other creatures. So we're going to take a look at this now, uh, what it means, what the repercussions of what people call an insect apocalypse are. Uh, and their impact on human well-being. So, Alistair, you're the expert on this. What's happening? What is triggering this uh, apocalypse?
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's a it's several things all happening at the same time over quite a long period now, and and uh, often it takes time for us to realise what the impacts are. But just in quick summary now, and then I can go into more detail. Habitat loss and fragmentation of habitat is a big is a big issue. Uh, the increased use of pesticides, uh, again, over very long periods and the cocktail effect of those pesticides, and then the impacts of climate change, predominantly climate warming, but also to a certain extent, um, dramatic, extreme events, climatic events. So all those three 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 things have happened over the last 30, 40, 50 years, and are increasingly happening. And um and together, yeah, it is a major, major issue for for insects and other invertebrates, and thus for mankind.
0: All right. Uh, let's try and put some numbers. If there were, if it was a hundred percent, the population of insects was hundred percent thirty years ago. Where are we down well, to now? Well,
1: yeah, I'll quote quote you some figures here. So, for example, uh, the insect abundance has declined by more than fifty percent since 1970. So that you know, the sheer number of insects. Uh, we've lost relatively few in terms of species becoming extinct in this country. And indeed, we've gained some through climate warming, moths and dragonflies, et cetera, that fly across the channel. But to lose over 50% of that biomass is a shocking number because there are so many things in the ecosystem that, that depend on that. If I give you some specific examples, butterflies, that are habitat specialists, so butterflies, for example, that live on chalk grass and specifically, or ancient oak woodlands specifically, they've declined by 77% in in the last 40, 50 years. Um, wider countryside butterflies, those that are more generalist, by 46%. So, so, you know, there's some pretty shocking and obvious indicators there.
0: So Sonia, you're the bridge here between investors uh, federated Hermes and others, I know you work for other investment houses as well, and the companies. So who's taking this more seriously, the investors or, or the companies?
2: I, I think it varies. And across the board, we still have a, a large role to play in just making that business case for why biodiversity is important. Um, I think largely it's been assumed to be a, a sort of free and permanent um part, part of the of the world and we we clearly know that that's not the case now um in fact we know that out of 8 million known species 1 million species are at risk of extinction as alistair was saying a large part of that known 8 million is actually insects i think it's 5.5 million species that are insects um, and that they're the ones that are declining particularly um, and, and so you know there's still some work to be done to explain why that is relevant to, to companies and investors um, and a long way to go in in first sort of stopping that impact on, on biodiversity throughout operations and supply chains and then moving towards reversing the loss. So actually sort of restoring nature.
0: Okay. So you're doing this on behalf of the investors. How are the companies responding? Are they waking up and saying, well, A, this is important for the earth, but B, our investors might start disinvesting and you know that will affect their share prices which of those two things are are sort of causing more alarm amongst the companies you speak to?
2: So we've chosen to prioritize engagement with food and beverage companies Mm -hmm. and that's because within that sector um, the loss of biodiversity is is a really material risk um, and food and beverage companies are most exposed to both the, the, the sort of risks from depending on biodiversity. So that's things like pollination, water, healthy soils. Um, Again, an an area where insects play a a huge role, of course, Um, but they're also having huge impacts on biodiversity through contributing to climate change, through huge land use requirements for for agriculture um, and through pollution. So again, going back to this issue of of pesticides, that's really having an impact on, on soils and waterways. So we're starting with with the food and beverage companies, and I think some of them are actually being quite responsive to this this issue because they know it's a it's a business risk. They're really their agricultural supply chains depend on having healthy ecosystems that can provide all of these ecosystem services.
0: Right. I mean, from the expert point of view, Alistair, what Sonny was just talking about dealing with food and beverage companies. I mean, what. Specific impact do falling these falling insect numbers have on global food production?
1: Well, um, I'm I'm not qualified to give you stats on this, but if if you if you just think, first of all, yes, there's a pollination value which we've already which we've already heard about. Um, then there are all of the soil conditioning and water conditioning roles that that insects and other invertebrates play. Um, which helps helps us to maintain a healthier environment, which ultimately will deliver healthier crops and food products and healthier for people. Then there's the knock-on effects. Again, I will give you some stats on uh, a few bird losses. So the knock-on effects for things that eat insects are also significant. Uh, So, for example, um, the last 50 years... Spotted Flycatcher, Grey Partridge, Nightingale have all declined in the UK by over 90% in terms of their numbers.
0: Coming back to you, Sonia, uh, Her- Federation Hermes, big presence at uh, COP26 last year. Uh, you can still see the barriers around uh, where your uh, temporary <laughs> building was, but you've got another COP meeting coming up, which is specifically addressing the biodiversity issue.
2: Indeed, we've got COP15 coming up in December in in Montreal. Um, We're part of a coalition of financial institutions that have signed the Finance for Biodiversity Pledge, which commits us to taking various actions on on biodiversity over the next couple of years. Um, And I actually co-chair the Public Policy Advocacy Working Group of the Finance for Biodiversity Foundation, which is the the vehicle through which we're trying to influence the outcome of COP15. So we've already developed several position papers. We've been contributing to the negotiations as an official observer, or the, the Finance for Biodiversity Foundation is, is an official observer, I should say. Um, we'll be at COP15, just continuing to, to advocate for a, an ambitious framework that calls for action from all stakeholders, including the financial sector. Um,
0: but when you get to COP15, I mean, there's a, obviously, there's a lot of governments going to be there uh, a lot of private companies are going to be there, all facing the same direction. Uh, and then there's the, the holdouts or the positively hostile countries. I'm thinking of Brazil here, where for all sorts of reasons, the message isn't getting through. Can we still push forward if there's governments controlling huge nature, res- you know, reserves of nature like Brazil that are just saying, no, we're just going to ca- carry on burning forests, destroying insects and, and so on? How, how do you cope with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, as with all of these international negotiations, things are sort of discussed and debated until the the last minute, and of course there are lots of competing voices and and priorities, and we've got especially a challenge because much of the the biodiversity is still in um in in the developing world, um and obviously there's a lot of resources that are required to support the the conservation of that biodiversity, um, you know I'm hopeful that there will be an agreement. Um, but of course, we we never know. And there are these competing priorities until the last minute. um I think there are some promising legislative developments in the UK and the EU as well, looking at, um, for instance, deforestation due diligence. Um, so that requires companies to do their own due diligence and ensure that there isn't um, a link to illegal deforestation in their supply chain, for instance. So, you know, that's us sort of trying to influence or, or or, at least um, understand the links to what's going on in, in Brazil, for instance, um, even from a, from a European context.
0: Right, okay, so you've just got to keep pressing ahead and...
2: Oh, absolutely, hope not stopping yet. Not stopping
0: yet, <laughs> excellent. Uh, I mean, slight note of optimism there, so, and I want some optimism from you, Alistair. Uh, I mean, and you have talked about the efforts that are going up in private estates and people aware of this now. Uh, there are some some forms of small creatures that are on the up aren't they so just tell us about those
1: yeah um first of all uh there are, there is a steady decline of uh, bioabundance and biodiversity in insects but uh, as i touched on before as a result of climate warming we're seeing we're seeing species coming in so as a regular moth trapper i'm now catching species that i didn't catch 10, 15 years ago, because they didn't exist in this country. Right. Um, so in terms of species diversity in the, in uh, in some of those terrestrial species, we are seeing um, some numbers holding up in terms of diversity. In the aquatic environment, yes, there are certain species which um, which are doing well, but they tend to be species that are tolerant of mildly polluted or even quite moderately polluted situations. So, you know, midge and mosquito species, um, some uh, species of mayfly even, you know, are, are, are abund- far more abundant now uh, on the River Thames than they were 40 years ago when I was a conservation officer on that river. You know, I will cite to you this, this example from the Broughton Hall estate in Yorkshire. So this um, is just to demonstrate how quickly things can happen. And we can turn things around quickly if we want to. So three years ago I had the first conversation with the landowner to talk about the possibility of rewilding. Within two years we'd planted 250,000 native trees and shrubs on what was formerly intensively sheep grazed grassland. Last week I was up there and I did moth trapping and whereas before rewilding I was catching 20-30 moths maybe 10 species Last week, I caught between 500 and 1,000 moths in every session, uh, and I've never seen anything like that in my life. And that's because across that 1,000 acres, you've removed the intensive grazing pressure, you've brought structure back into the landscape with tree planting, but the trees are only 3, 4, 5, 6 feet high. They're not, you know, they're not contributing significantly yet, but all around those trees is long grass and, and uh, other wildflowers, etc., not particularly wildflower rich, but just architecture of habitat and more grass species and more cover uh, uh, and more food. Right. And just the vole population, the insect population, the birds of prey, the buzzards, the kestrels, uh, the barn owls, they've all gone through the roof. It's fantastic. So, that's, so it can be done.
0: It can be done and it shows to others you don't have to wait for your grandchildren to get the benefit. <laughs> No. do it now and in yeah. five years time but
1: you've got to but but you've got to do it big yeah. you've got to do it at scale and you've got to be ambitious and we cannot do it without the private investment matching yeah. what we hope will be significant government contribution through farming policies etc
0: well that's where that's where sonia comes in absolutely uh, on that supremely optimistic note uh, we're going to wrap up there so thank you alistair thank you sonia for coming in i think it's been a fascinating discussion